want to invite you to have a seat. As you do, I want to welcome you to Hagerstown Church. So popular today in books and in movies is the theme of the heist. The theme of the heist. We love those sorts of stories, don't we? We love uh, stories of people stealing things. What does that say about us? Well, that's another day. We'll talk about what's wrong with us. Why do we enjoy that sort of a story? But if we're honest, we do like a story where the, the, the thing that is to be stolen is great. There's never really been a cool heist movie or, or movie about theft where somebody stole a pack of bubble gum or a pair of sunglasses from Walmart. Not that exciting of a story. The greater the amount of theft, the greater the story, more in, in exciting and intriguing. And I would also add that the more dangerous the victim, the more exciting the story. You can maybe think through the books that you've read, the stories that you've seen, both on uh, the, the screen, the, movie t- the TV screen and the movie theater screen. You, we really enjoy those sorts of movies. And I can't think of a, a greater victim, somebody that's been robbed from more and more interestingly, more dangerous than God himself. Malachi chapter 3 Verses 8, 9, and 10 speak about this idea of stealing from God. Let's look at it together. It'll be on the screen for you. Additionally, it'll be in the the Bible that you hold in your hand or that's sitting in front of you. If you don't have a copy and you'd like to, to flip back and forth between the passages that we're looking at, I encourage you to do that. It's a great way to to really engage with the Word of God. And by the way, this is the Word of God for us today. You can turn in uh, that hard black Bible in front of you to Malachi, or, yeah, Malachi 3, which is on page 954. 954. So a great story about stealing and stealing from God. In verse 8 it says, Will a man rob God? Whew. Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We're going to ask God to bless the reading of his word. But before we together go and quickly pause and ask God to bless this time, the the word that we're looking at this morning, I want to just ask you two questions quickly. First, have you robbed God? Have you robbed? robbed God. Another question for you this morning is, do you even care to find out? Do you care to even know the answer to that story, to that question? I hope that you do. I hope that you want to know the answer to that. And if you do find that that answer comes to you in the negative, or sorry, in the positive, that you indeed have robbed God, I've got good news for you this morning. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, it is our hope and our prayer that you would use your word this morning to reveal to us 
our, our failures, our weaknesses, but not just those things. Father, would you reveal to us Jesus crucified? Father, we have sinned against you, all of us. Jesus never has. He never did. So we thank you for the sacrifice that he became sin for us. He took our punishment where we have robbed you. Father, for those who are in Christ, who claim Christ, who pray in his name, we have been forgiven. It has been paid for. Help us to understand that. Help us to have confidence in that. Help us to walk boldly in that. And Father, help us to be a people that do not rob you anymore. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. In Malachi chapter 3, God accuses his people of robbing him. Now, he's speaking to the children of Israel. He's speaking to a a group of people, a, a nation that have a covenant with him, and they've promised to not do this very thing that he is accusing them of doing. They've stolen from him. That's on one level. These are God's covenant people. And on another level, these are God's created people. They certainly belong to God. And we've explored this idea that the the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and, and the world and all those who dwell in it. And in that way, if we don't give back to God of what we have, then we are robbing him and particularly those who are in covenant with him. Now, I recognize that for many of you, this may be a new idea that you could even steal from God. Sometimes we are a little anxious when we walk out of the store. We feel the pressure, even though we've not bought anything, that maybe we feel this feeling that we've done something wrong or that we'll be accused of doing something wrong. And so we act totally natural. We pep talk ourselves. Don't freak out. You've done nothing wrong. Just walk out. Now you're thinking, not only is there this danger that I might have accidentally, inadvertently stolen from a vendor here in Hagerstown, but maybe I've stolen also from God. I love spending time with new Christians, new young believers who, when we begin to study the scriptures together, you just see lights going off in their mind as they're wondering, hey, does this apply to me? Have I done this? And how does Jesus' sacrifice for me not only cover my sin if I'm guilty of this, but also strengthen me and cleanse me so that I won't do it anymore? If that's you here this morning, maybe you're asking, does God really have rights to my money? And maybe you're not even asking that in frustration. Maybe you're just really, really wondering about that, and maybe you're even a bit surprised. Perhaps you had this sort of idea that I had, and I'm not saying it was taught to me, but it's certainly what I believe, that since I earned my money, it's up to me how I spend my money, every penny. Maybe you have this sort of an idea. Maybe you knew that God required for you to give But you sort of had this idea that if I tithe and act morally with the rest of my money, God doesn't really care how I handle my money. Maybe you're thinking this morning, yes, I give sacrificially. I give to the church. I give to the needy. And and then I give up to this certain amount. And everything past that, God, as long as I'm not investing it in the black market or something immoral or unethical, won't you just kind of mind your own business and let me do my own thing? Maybe that's a question that you're asking. Maybe you're asking this sort of a question. Why are we digging down deep, Pastor Josh? Does my money, do my money habits have 
anything to do with my spiritual state? Do they serve as an indicator of anything down deeper? Can you really look at my checkbook? Can you really look at my expenses and determine anything about me spiritually? The answer to these questions that we have looked at, especially this one is, yes, God does have rights to your money. God does own it, and not just a part of it, but all of it. Furthermore, how you spend your money is an incredibly accurate indicator of where you are spiritually. I want to give you the main idea this morning, and we'll not just look at one text. We'll look at many texts this morning, but the main idea is this, and it's one that it's uncomfortable for me to say, but it's so true, and it has far-reaching implications that reach all the way past me, my, my shoulders, all the way down to my back pocket, into my wallet. The idea is this, that Christians are called to steward our finances with the awareness that they belong to God. Not just in part, but in total. Christians are called to steward our finances with the awareness that they belong to God. Now, today we're finishing up a, a very brief series on stewardship. And stewardship. We looked at time, stewarding our time. We looked at our talents, stewarding our talents. And today we're going to explore this idea of stewarding our treasure. Now, to be a, a steward is to be somebody who manages or looks after the property of another. If you're the steward of a business or the steward of a, a portfolio, then you are looking after, you are managing somebody else's property. We looked closely at that last week. This parable in Matthew 25. The people who were given these talents, these servants, slaves really, given by their master certain great sums of money, each of them. Some of them invested them and, and, and one of them did not. And we saw how that played out, but each of them were given something. Each of them were stewards of their master's resources. And we saw last week that we are called to invest our resources, our talents specifically, areas where God has blessed us, or to use those to increase our master's holdings. And we looked mostly at our physical talents and our spiritual talents. And today we'll look specifically at our financial talents, our financial gifts. Now, if you are to be a steward, Christian, of the money that God has given to you, and you're to spend it on what God would have you to spend it on, it would be important for us to actually know what it is that God cares about. Are you asking that question? What does God care deeply about? I've got four things. Now, there's a long list of things that God cares about, but I've listed out four because I think these are the four that we so easily, so quickly overlook. And not only do we overlook them, but they're listed in our covenant. In the back of the hard black Bible in front of you, you'll, you'll probably see Hagerstown Church's member covenant. You can look through that. You could go ahead and see that it's there, uh, and that'd be, that's great. If, if not, we need to figure out a way to get those replenished. But in that covenant, the second to last thing that a, Hagerstown, a member of Hagerstown Church is committing to is this, that, and it'll be on the screen for you, that we will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. 
There's several, several bullet, or not, not only are there bullet points, but there's several texts uh, throughout the scriptures where we gather this, this point that we're committing to. That really, I think, encapsulates well the four things that God cares about. Let's take them one at a time, not necessarily in order. The first is this. God cares deeply about the edification of the church. Now, I was instructed this morning, he's not here to uh, get the big head, so I, I, I'll go ahead and say it. But uh, our brother Chuck taught in Sunday school this morning as we're working through the Old Testament. If you're not a part of that, by the way, it's fantastic teaching. It's very solid. It'll help you to get a, a good grasp of the Old Testament, and not just the Old Testament, but of Christ preached in the Old Testament. But anyway, our brother Chuck said this morning, I don't think he was meaning it directly at me, although he scowled when he looked in my direction. He said, if you can say a five-syllable word in one syllable, then you should do that. Well, I didn't do that this morning. Edification. What does it mean to edify? To, to build up is what it means. To, to erect, to grow, to strengthen. And that is something that God cares deeply about. Edifying, building up the church. And you saw that there in our covenant. Church, when you give to the ministry here at Hagerstown Church, you are giving to the edification of the church. Years ago, when we first started Hagerstown Church, which later merged with First Baptist Church, and now we are one church together, but when we first started Hagerstown Church, we created a document called The Life of a Dollar. I love that document. It was a pretty simple one. We were a small organization, but we wanted everyone to know that when you gave a dollar, this is what that dollar went to go do. And I want you to know that today, it's still the same thing. When you give even a dollar to Hagerstown Church, here's what it goes to. It goes to member care. It goes to pastoral ministry, and it goes to missions giving. One of those three things. When you give to the church, when you cheerfully and regularly support the ministry here at Hagerstown Church, what you're giving to is the care that we provide for the members. There's a, very, there's a myriad of things that, that your dollar would go towards here at Hagerstown Church, but when you give that dollar, know that you are honestly caring. You're edifying the work and the workers here in this building, in this membership. But not only does it go to member care, but it goes to pastoral ministry. And pastoral ministry, I would argue, really is the greatest way, is the biggest way that this church supports the edification of the ministry or the edification of the church. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 tell us this, that God gave to the church apostles, and he gave to the church evangelists and shepherds, and he gave them teachers. And I happen to be a few of those things. No, I'm not an apostle or a prophet, but I certainly am a shepherd for the church here at Hagerstown Church. In addition to me is Pastor Chris and Pastor Brett. And one of the ways that the church supports the, the, the work of the ministry here and the building up of the church is through what I'm doing right now. And I don't take lightly the fact that the church has asked me, appointed me to be the one who would, in much uh, in great ways, shepherd and teach the church and shepherd the church through teaching. And I'm able to do that throughout the week and my family still be provided for because of the life of the dollar that you, Hagerstown Church, have given to the ministry here. And so you are giving to the pastoral ministry. Thank you, Hagerstown Church. And you're giving to the edification of the saints here at Hagerstown, of which we see that taking place this very moment. So thank you. That's just one way that we see 
God using the money that we give to him to build up his church through member care and specifically pastoral ministry. Church, God cares about you and he cares about your edification, your building up, not just individually, but collectively as a body. So when you look at your own bank statement, does it match up the cares that are demonstrated there, the loves, the worship, the desires? Is it matching up with God's desires? What does God want? What is special to God? What is important to him? The edification of his church. And not just the edification of his church, but also, number two, the spread of the gospel. The spread of the gospel. You likely saw that. Notice that there in the covenant. That we will contribute cheerfully, not just to the ministry here at Hagerstown Church and the expenses of the church, but also there you saw the spread of the gospel through all nations. Just a few weeks ago, we finished up our offering, our collection for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I hope you don't get tired of hearing about that. I hope right now you begin to think and set goals about how you can give this next year to that. I don't don't care if you're 90 or if you're nine. Think about getting involved this next year in giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and seeing the spread of the gospel through all nations. That's one way that we've seen that God uses our finances to spread the gospel. I can speak firsthand to this. The money that we gave in Lottie Moon, that offering is going directly to Asia. And one of the things that I got to witness this, this past year was our, our monies, our investments going right to the field, seeing training for pastors, seeing training for, for church leaders, seen training for regular members of churches there in Asia and South Asia that, that need training on how to share the gospel. I was able actually to be a part of that. And we have confidence knowing that the money that we sent through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering will go to do more of that training in this year. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of what God loves. I want to ask you to consider what God loves today. Not just the edification of the church, but the spread of the gospel, the good news that we know The good news that we gather and celebrate and and, and cherish, it's going out. God loves it's going out and, and spreading. Do you love that? And can you demonstrate that with your own finances? I love the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I love our missionaries. We have a unique model here, and I don't mean to say that it's awesome and it has no issues, but I do love the fact that here at Hagerstown Church, there is money that we give corporately through our budget directly to missions work, but a lot, and I would say most of what we give to the mission field, to the spread of the gospel is given individually by individuals here in the church and family members here in this church. It's a lovely, lovely story. If you wonder how you can get involved in that, I would love to have a, a conversation with you. And Pastor Brett would, Pastor Chris would as well, to, to show you. You can even talk to our treasurer, Tara. She does a fantastic job of connecting with and making sure that we have that sort of information. But it's a great way for you and your family to partner directly with the missionaries that are on the field serving all around the world. And so we love the Lottie Moon. We, we, love, the, we love our missionaries. But I also want you to know something. I love our future missionaries. 
It's been a, a great privilege, and I, I, I think the Lord has guarded me from, from pride, but it's been a, a real joy to say that our church doesn't just give to random missionaries that we happen to meet either here or there, but the missionaries that we support so strongly are missionaries that we have served with and sang with and worshiped with and covenanted with. They've come out of our very body. They've sat in our homes and sat around our dinner tables, and it's a great joy that we have these present gospel workers, but you know what? I have great hope that we'll have even more gospel workers that come out of this very body. Who knows what God will do in the coming months and years? Maybe call one of you or 10 of you to go and to serve in a foreign land in a dark place where right now the name of Jesus is not known. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not preached. You say, I don't necessarily really care about that right now. I can assure you that God the God who has blessed you with the financial resources that you have, that he cares about it. He cares about our current missionaries and he cares about our future missionaries. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is how can my family be positioned right now and working strategically to position ourselves for future support of future missionaries? Not just Lottie Moon at the end of this year, but over the course of the next 50 years, and I do hope to annoy you and pester you over the next 50 years of my life here in this place, making much about preparation for future missionaries, I hope that you'll join me in that. I know that God cares about our future missionaries too. Number three, what does God care about? Well, it's again, it's there in the covenant. And I left it to number three because it's something that often is left out. We often leave it out. It's the relief of the poor. I'll talk a little bit about conviction, personal conviction, and uh, personal uh, need for repentance in my life, even this week. And every single time I hear the covenant read, either by a brother or sister standing next to me or coming across my own lips, I hear this word that I'll contribute cheerfully and regularly to the relief of the poor. Where did we get that? Is Hagerstown Church just a, a big social club where we care about social efforts here in Hagerstown and around the world and we don't really care about the gospel? Well, of course we do. We care about the gospel. We care about the edification, the building up of the church. But you know what? We care about those things because God cares about them. And he doesn't just care about the gospel going forward and the church being built up, but God cares about the relief of the poor. I wonder if your checkbook demonstrates that you do. I'm going to just read for you a couple passages. They won't be on the screen. I want to read for you a couple passages just to substantiate this claim that God cares about the poor. Most of it will be found in Proverbs, some of it in Deuteronomy and one in Galatians. Listen to these. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. That's incredible. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his, for his deed. I remember getting some wisdom from my father when I was just a young guy. He said, it's probably not a good idea for you to ever lend anything that you need to get back. Right? Well, if you sort of run that statement through here, it's, it's wonderful because the, the, the idea of that warning of that little proverb that my father gave me is that you're likely not going to get it back. And so don't give it away if you really need it. And what's so cool is that when you give 
and you're generous to the poor, God says, I'll sign that note, even though you consider it a gift, I'll sign it as a loan and I will repay you with interest. Isn't that a wonderful promise? God cares about the poor. Proverbs 22, just a few chapters later, it says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. Again in Proverbs, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But on the flip side, he who is generous to the needy honors God, his maker. Deuteronomy chapter 15 says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. You probably heard Jesus say something like this. The poor you will always have with you. There in Deuteronomy it says, Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Friends, does God care about the poor? Does he care about the relief of those who are in need physically? He certainly does. We love to emphasize the spiritual need of those who are poor. But God doesn't just emphasize the spiritual need. He emphasizes also the physical need. I hope you're convinced. Proverbs 28 says something similar. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Galatians chapter 2. Lest you're afraid that these are all just from the Old Testament. Well, is there anything in the New Testament? Well, I love this. When the apostle Paul is, is having a conference with the, the church in Jerusalem and they're trying to determine whether they should put their stamp of approval on him. Certainly God has. We could see that. But Peter wasn't so quick. And so they have this meeting. Can they really get behind this guy, Paul, that's not, not, not a regular apostle? He's an apostle born out of, out of season, so to speak. And his story is a little bit different, how he became a Christian. But after investigation, they approved the apostle Paul as if they, Paul really needed it. But certainly he got it. And this is what they give him. They, they say in Galatians chapter 2, and Paul writes it in the letter to Galatia. He says, only they asked us to remember, speaking of the church in, in Jerusalem, he says, only they asked us to remember the poor. And Paul says, the very thing I was eager to do already. Now, that speaks to a couple things. One, it speaks to the fact that we should be generous, not just as Old Testament Christians and believers, but as New Testament Christians. We're to be generous as well. But I love the fact that Without even be sitting under the same teaching, the apostles were really concerned about the relief of the poor. And when the apostle Paul shows up, they say, hey, we want you to do that same thing too. And Paul's like, I already do that. That's already something very important to me. Here's what we know about this. Even though they didn't become apostles in the exact same way, their story and their streams aren't the exact same pathway, we can see that the gospel still has the same effect. Why? Because the gospel of God, the new good news of God, demonstrates that God truly cares about the relief of the poor. And just for good measure, here's one more from Proverbs. Let's jump back. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Does God not care about the relief of the poor? He certainly does care about that. And so when you consider your own checkbook, when you consider the things that you, Christian, do with the money that God has called you to be a steward of, know this, that God loves, 
He cares about the building up of the church. He cares about the spread of the gospel. He cares about the relief of the poor. And friends, this is one, this is one that's also forgotten. He cares about the needs of his saints. He cares about the needs of his saints. And friends, that includes you. You say, well, I already have, a, I already have the gospel and I am certainly being built up here in the church. I need to give more to the needy. But is there anything left for me and for me personally, for my needs? And the answer is yes. God's not called us to give away everything that we have. Keep in mind that what he has given to you is to supply, at least in part, the needs that you have physically also. Certainly the resources entrusted to you are partially intended to provide for your own needs as well. And so when you pray for your daily bread, when you pray for your needs to be met and you get your paycheck, recognize that God has heard you. His eye is on the sparrow. He cares for the lilies of the field. He's promised to care for us as well, and he has. And so where he has, give him thanks. And use the resources that you have to provide for your own needs and keep those other three things that God cares about in mind as well. Each of us are stewards. Each of us are stewards, financial stewards, to varying degrees, varying levels, and yet still we are called to care for God's holdings and to invest them Every aspect of our monetary resources ultimately belong to him. Our spending, our saving, all of that should indicate that our values are coordinating and coinciding with God's values. And here's really an important part of the sermon. Where God's values and your values as it relates to finances demonstrate that they've parted ways, it's time for us to repent and to realign them. I want to say that again. When you notice that your values demonstrated through your financial spending or saving part ways with God's values, then the the burden is on us to repent and to realign those values. Now, I think that goes without saying. There's a temptation maybe when we talk about something like this to kind of feel guilt and shame. And I want you to know right off the bat, right here, that God reveals our sin to us, but not for the purpose of condemning us. He reveals our sin, he reveals our failures and our weakness to us so that in love he he can allow us and show us where we need to walk in the light with him. To repent and to turn back to him. And so if you're tempted now to think of all the money that you've wasted, like I am, or to think about all the things that you've not done that you had opportunity to do, maybe even to increase your gift to Lottie Moon, or maybe when you heard about that missionary that came through town and was meeting with friends and members of the church, you didn't take that meeting, or maybe you did take the meeting, but you never actually set up that giving 
Maybe you're feeling shame. And the point of all of this is not that you would feel shame, not that you would feel guilt, not that you would feel condemned, but that you would in faith believe that God in his mercy and in his grace is calling you to greater joy and to greater financial stability and safety. Now, I think that this is a very important task for us. This is a very important topic for us today. And I want to give you three reasons briefly if you're not convinced as to why this is so important. Number one, this is relevant. This is incredibly relevant to us today. Again, maybe you're thinking along the lines of one of those questions that I asked earlier in our time. Well, if I give God a certain portion of my finances, doesn't that sort of make him happy? And then as long as I'm not doing anything immoral, I can... Spend the rest the way I like? I hope you're convinced to see that, no, that's not okay. That's not the way it works as a Christian. That's not God's expectation of you over your financial resources. I love this idea that the warnings in the the New Testament and in the Old Testament are incredibly relevant to us. You see, there's so much instruction. There are so many warnings in the Bible that are directed at the rich. Now, most of you in this room are probably thinking, well, that's not me. Whew. The Bible's speaking to the rich, and <laughs> I am not rich. Therefore, I'm off the hook. Well, I want, I want you to know that I don't have to look at your portfolio I don't have to, to look at your expenses. I don't have to look at your, your 401k or, or even your, what's in your, your bank account or your wallet to know, friend, that you are rich. It's debatable as to whether we're the richest country in the, in the world and, and in the history of time, but I'm, I'm certain we're there pretty close to the top. You don't have to go very far to notice that that's true. The disposable income that we have access to that stresses us out on how we'll actually spend it, whether it'll be at this restaurant or that restaurant, or how much we'll actually put in our 401k, or whether we'll make an extra payment on our house that costs quite a bit of money and is incredibly large. We have storage buildings, we have homes. We have bank accounts, we have options, and all of these things point to the fact that we are an incredibly rich society and culture. And not just through storage buildings and bank accounts, but look at immigration. The fact that people are literally willing to leave everything that they own in a foreign land, literally leave everything behind to come here with a suitcase and a carry-on indicates to us, indicates to me at least, that we are an incredibly wealthy country with all kinds of opportunity, in addition to our storage buildings and immigration of the masses, look at our debt. Look at how much debt that we have, not just as a nation, but individually the average debt is unfathomable in in comparison to recent years, even in this nation. And all these things are pointing to the fact that we are an incredibly rich culture Each of us relative to the next aren't equal, and yet we have access to so, so much. The warnings in the New Testament, particularly from the Lord Jesus to the rich, are so striking and demonstrate a relevance to us. In Matthew chapter 19, 
One of those verses, one of those statements that Jesus makes. He's speaking of the the rich young ruler who says that he's followed all of the laws of God and he wants to be pleasing to God. He wants to know that he can enter into the kingdom and Jesus says to him something very, very hard for him to hear and it says that he went away very sad. Why? Because he had many possessions. He was very rich. And Jesus really speaking about that gentleman and speaking also about us. Today says in Matthew 19, verse 23, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to think about that. Matter of fact, I want you to feel that. Feel the weight of that. Only with difficulty, Jesus says, will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. If you skip on down to verse 26, it does say, but Jesus looked at them and said, but with man, this is impossible. Rich people going to heaven, but with God, and praise God, all things are possible. And yet the the warning there, I hope it hits solidly for you. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's demonstrating the relevance to this topic for us today, but also the danger. And so it's a relevant topic for us as rich rich people, rich men and women, rich culture, but it's also a very dangerous topic. First Timothy chapter six. We looked at this passage a, a few months ago. First Timothy chapter six. It says in verse nine, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Some of you say, well, I'm not rich, but maybe all of us could say we desire to be rich. The Apostle Paul warns under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, if you desire to be rich, you're in grave danger that you'll fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There's a desire among many of us to be rich or to be richer. This warning for us, it hits soundly. It's a relevant warning and it's a warning of grave, grave danger. There's a message that has been Declared not just here, but from here all the way across the world to places all over Africa, Africa and India. That God's blessings, that God's favor is demonstrated upon people through the increase of their financial holdings. And in some sense, on some levels, that is a truth. But I stand with the myriad of pastors and theologians who throughout the centuries have said something along the lines of this, that great wealth is actually a curse. It's a plague. It's a test that many of us fail. It's dangerous. And so it's relevant for us. We long for it and we are rich and we are plunging ourselves into grave, grave danger. And third, 
And this section, as we consider why this is such an important task and such an important topic for us, is that it's deceptive. Again, many of us would say this morning, I, I gave my tithe. I don't do anything immoral. I think God is pleased with me, and I've, I, I'm certainly aligned in all of my values with God's values. Jeremiah would warn us, hey, your heart is deceitful, it's wicked, but not only would Jeremiah warn us that, but Jesus also warns us about the deceitfulness of riches. I want to encourage you to actually look at this verse with me. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Matthew 13, verse 22. Here's the parable of the sower, or some have called it the parable of the soils. Jesus is helping his disciples and us today to understand how the kingdom of God works. And he's speaking in this parable about a sower that goes forth and he, he, he casts the good soil, the, sorry, the good seed of the gospel, the word of God. He throws it out on these different kinds of soil. And some of the, all the soils are responding differently to this good news, to this gospel message. And look at verse 22. It, it tells us about one particular type of soil where it doesn't end well. Verse 22, Jesus says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one, this is a picture of the one who hears the word of God, hears the gospel, hears of the generosity of Jesus, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Let me flesh that out a little bit for us today. Jesus is saying there's a danger that, that people will hear the good news of God. They'll hear the gospel. They'll hear of the promise of forgiveness and the hope in Christ. And they'll respond in part to that. But because there are so many other cares in their lives, so many options, that's what cares of the world means, so many other things, so many lesser things, all crowding around, all clamoring for attention, all begging to be purchased. And because of the deceitfulness of riches, because of the lie that if you have much that God has blessed you, because of the lie that God has blessed you so that you can enjoy yourself, forgetting about all of his cares and his passions. It says, that person that had the word of God sort of sprout up in their life, they won't really see any gospel fruit in their lives. Why? Because it's all choked out by the deceitfulness of riches. And so we might have gotten through the first part. Okay, yes, I know that I'm rich. Okay, I'll agree. Relative to most of the world and most of history, I am one of the richest people that have ever lived in the history of time, okay, I agree with that. And dangerous, yes, I agree. This is so dangerous, and yet I'm actually not that rich. I don't have that much. Yes, I have more, C.1, but I don't have it all, and I'm doing pretty good. And then we get to point three, and Jesus says, hey, I want you to know something. Anyone that has an ear, I hope that you hear this. Riches are deceitful. 
You think you'll have less than you really do. You think you need more than you already have. You think you're doing more than you already have. You think that your values are already aligned with the values of the word of God. And maybe you're doing okay. Maybe you're doing well. But the truth is we have to stop and pause and realize that this is a deceptive topic for us today. There's a passage in the scriptures that goes something like this. The one who thinks that he stands, that is sure that his footing is good, they should stop and listen and fear because they may be the next to fall. And so I think it's important for us to ask that question right now. How am I doing financially? Are my values aligned with God's values? And where they're not... We can have the confidence and the boldness to hear where there's a disparate value and to repent and bring them back into alignment. Now, one of the ways that I think that that's going to happen in your life is through community. We've talked about that regularly through this sermon series. It's so helpful for you to get somebody else in your life, in your Christian life, maybe even sitting in this room right now. In fact, I would encourage that to put a set of eyes on your calendar, on your time, to ask good questions, not to condemn you, to beat you up, to bring guilt and shame into your life, but because of the good news of Jesus, that you have been forgiven, that nothing can be found out, you can, that, that would separate you from God, you can walk in the light asking a brother or sister to look at your calendar. And the same is true of your talents. Friend, look at my time, look at my giftings. Am I really using these? It's so deceptive. I believe that. Help me to walk in the light. Help me to see my blind spots. And if we'll do that with our calendars, and if we'll do that with our talents, friends, we should also do that with our treasures. Man, I want to just encourage you to do something that I intend to do this very week, to let somebody else lay eyes on my spending. The reality is, that the quickest way, I think the most accurate way in this life to really see into somebody's heart is to look at their checkbook. You see, what you love the most is demonstrated by what you spend the most on. What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your talents on? Friends, what do you spend your treasure on? Allow other people around you to peer in and to give input to show those blind spots that you're missing. Here's another option, another thing that I think is very important. This is directed mainly at parents this morning. We live in a day and age where it's so easy for us to just give our money online, and I think that's a great way to give to the work of Hagerstown Church. I think that's a fantastic way to get money on the other side of the world so that people can buy scriptures and get them into the hands of those who are in great need of them. But one of the dangers of giving online, one of the dangers of giving through recurring giving is that we miss out on the opportunity to show our own children what it looks like to be sacrificial, to be generous, and to have our values financially aligned with God's values. So I don't say that in any way to, to, to point out or condemn, but I encourage you just to consider what would it look like for you to include your own children in on how your family finances work. To show them how much money that you are actually giving to the gospel in dark places. Or the ministry of the, of the saints here in Hagerstown. 
or even to the relief of the poor. If you're like me, you might be a little bit afraid to show that to your children because they see things often so black and white, so plain and clear. And yet, I think that would be helpful. Friends, so much is at stake for us. So much is at stake. We've been invested with so much. We've been given so many resources, and God has called us to partner with him in the work that he's doing. And as I think about what would motivate us most this morning, there is this warning. There is this danger. There is the stick, so to speak, that we're afraid that we'll be hit with or struck with. But there's also the carrot. And what is the carrot? We've talked about the fears that we may be out of line. We've looked at what happens to those who do not have their values aligned with God, particularly in the area of talents last week. But what would be the gospel motivators for us this morning? I love this passage that we find in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is speaking and he says, come unto me, All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think most of us, when we consider our own finances, whether we have much or little, would say, I feel a little weary when it comes to finances. Maybe because of anxiety surrounding them. The little that you have or the great amount that you have, and you feel the responsibility there. I want you to know that Jesus is calling out to you, not to yell at you or to shame you or even to condemn you, but for those who are in Christ, he's calling, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Is he speaking of physical rest? Of course he's speaking of physical rest. What about spiritual rest? Indeed, financial, absolutely. He looks at you and he says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Toward the end of our time in Hebrews 13, I We read in verses 5 and 6, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, keep your life free from the love of money. Why? God's yelling at No, God's warning us. He's saying it's dangerous. You'll you'll bring harm upon yourself. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Think of that. When God calls out to you today and he says, hey, some of you love money. Some of you have mishandled your money and it's brought damage to your life. It's brought damage to your marriage. It's brought you guilt and shame and destruction. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, hey, I want you to know about a better way. I want you to know of a way that will bring you joy and peace and safety and comfort. And Jesus says, here's the answer to your love of money. Faith and trust in me. He says, I, here's the antidote, I am near. Do not fear what can man do to you. The answer to your unhealthy relationship with money is a healthy view and relationship with Jesus. Think of that. Whether you have much or little, if you want rest financially, we can find that rest in Jesus. And I've got two two topics for us to explore And we'll come to the Lord's table together. Two topics. Here's the first one. In Jesus, we find no place for financial anxiety. In Jesus, we find no place for financial anxiety. Look closely at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 20, and 21. 
Matthew 6, 19, 20, and 21. Again, this is the teaching of Jesus. Like God, the eternal Son of God, came down to earth and preached a out-of-the-park sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in that sermon, he says to you and to me, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, for those of you who are rich today, you might hear that verse and think, and by the way, I think that's all of us. You might think, oh, wait a minute. Here I am listening to a sermon. Who's guarding all my clothes? What's keeping the moths away? What about all of my possessions and belongings especially the ones made of metal, they're being destroyed right now by this terrible road salt. They're literally, you can go, walk into the parking lot right now and hear rust chomping away at all of our financial investments of our cars. The moths are eating our clothes and rust is eating our cars and thieves are in our homes breaking in and stealing everything. Do you feel a little bit of anxiety boiling up in your heart right now? Maybe you know what it feels like to have something stolen from you here in this life. I know that I have. It's a terrible, terrible feeling, and it induces terrible anxiety. And Jesus speaks to that, and he says, come find rest for your soul. Come find rest for your checkbook in me. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is a terrible place to invest. He says, it only brings more anxiety. If when you talk, when somebody asks about your financial portfolio, if you talk about things that can be eaten by moths, destroyed by rust, or stolen by thieves, you're a fool. You've invested in the worst things. The trifecta of financial ruin is going to get you. Well, get your holdings. First John, Pastor Chris will get to this here soon. First John chapter 2. Verses 15, 16, and 17, we're commanded and warned about this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's coming at it from one side here. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so it's saying, hey, it, don't do these things because if that is evident in your life, it is evident also that you're not in a good spot with God the Father. But then he comes at it from another angle and he says, not only that, but check this out. This world is passing away, verse 17. Did you know that? It's passing away, the moths and the salt. It'll all be gone, along with the thieves. It'll all be destroyed. It'll all pass away, along with its desires. But listen, he says in 1 John 2, 17, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That sounds a lot like what we read last week. Enter into the joy of your reward. Jesus says, hey, not only did, did that slave, that servant, invest that money and, and bring great benefit to his master, but he was invited into that benefit as well. That sounds like what we're hearing here in 1 John chapter 2. When we invest God's money, our financial blessings in other things, we have the right to be anxious. We have the right to be afraid but when we invest our treasure in heavenly things, when we invest our treasure in godly things, the building up of the church, the spreading of the gospel, the relief of the poor, and our own physical needs to exist, 
We are investing in something financially that brings us peace, something that will never, ever be lost. And I love the promise that we hear throughout the scriptures, there in the Psalms, those who go forward planting precious seed will come again rejoicing, bringing their crops with them. God will give a blessing on our investment. And so there's no place in God's kingdom for financial anxiety. It doesn't need to be there. He will provide for our needs and what else he has given to us, we can invest with 100% confidence that it will in fact bring a reward. Now, as you think of this idea of anxiety, know this, that anxiety often sort of brings this idea of the fear of the unknown. Things that we're not really sure about. It might happen, it might, ha- might not happen. Well, when you think about the kingdom of God, I want you to think about things that are sure as well. Not only should you be unsure in this life because you might lose something to a moth or to rust or to a thief, but know this, that everything will finally be lost and destroyed. Everything. Now, we've talked about that in a sort of an abstract level, but I want you to think about the fact this is a reality. It's a somber reality that each of us one day, if the Lord tarries, will die. Each of us. Each of us, our loved ones and our family will gather in a place much like this one, if not this one. And we'll be laid in a box, and when the singing and the praying and the preaching and the burying is all done, the family will gather back at the home and they'll decide what goes to the pawn shop, what goes to the dump, what goes to the yard sale, and what goes into somebody else's possession to eventually one day down the road be brought in to see Mr. Chumley and that pawn shop, and they'll ask, what exactly is this worth? But you will have no benefit of that. It'll all burn up one day. It'll all be thrown into the dump. It'll all be destroyed by moth, rusts, or rust, or thieves. That is a surety. We need not to have anxiety about that. It's a promise. But the other side of that is that anything and everything we invest in eternity in heaven will reap a reward. And in that way, we have confidence. We have no expectation that we will be without. And that's the second point. We have no expectation of poverty for those who are in Christ. No expectation of poverty. Now that might be a little bit of a trigger word for some of you. You might happen to know something about this church that we don't look kindly upon the prosperity gospel. This gospel that says that God demonstrates his blessing to you chiefly in the present through financial blessings. That's absolutely ridiculous and antithetical to the scriptures and to the gospel that we hold so dearly. And yet at the same time, we know this, that we will never be a people that are without. The scriptures tell us in the Old Testament and in the New that those who follow God will never beg bread. The idea is that we'll never be without. We'll never not have our needs met. Not only physically, but spiritually. We've looked at this, I wouldn't say exhaustively, but we certainly have looked at it many times. This idea that The one who did not spare his own son, God on high. He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us freely. How will he not also give us all things? He certainly will. We have no fear in this life and certainly not in the next of poverty. 
I don't know what your view of the end times are. I don't know what your view of eternity is, but I know this. The scriptures teach us time and time and time again that there is an opportunity for us to store up for ourselves and for our king treasure. And when we do that in Christ, we have no expectation that in this life or the next, we will be in poverty, that we will have any lack. Now again, For those who have invested only in this life, you will experience eternal, abject poverty. You'll lose everything. But for those who invest in the king and those who invest in the king's kingdom, there's no chance that we can lose out. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, 18, and 19. We'll go to that passage again. Starting in verse 17. The Apostle Paul writes again to young Timothy, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Charge them not to be proud. Why? Where did you get the the gifts? Where did you get your finances, your blessings, or cursings? Where did you get them? You got them from God. And so what should they do? They should set their hopes not on the uncertainty of riches, the thing the riches in this life will bring anxiety, but they're to set their hopes Confidence, they're to set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Does that sound like poverty to you? No, when we enter into the joy of our Lord, the joy of our reward in Christ, we will have everything we need and everything to enjoy, and chief among those, a relationship with our God and Savior. It's sure. Poverty is not our future. In some sense, it may be in this life, at least by the appearance and the observation of others, but not for real and not for the future. Earlier in that same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, or verse uh, uh, 6, actually, we hear this, that godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a warning here. A few verses before it says, some of you think that following God and acting in a godly way will bring yourself gain, financial gain. It will somehow bring God's blessing upon you. And the warning is, that's ridiculous. It actually says, godliness and being content, a relationship with God in this life, and being content with such things as you have, that is gain. But not just gain, It's great gain. Great gain. As we come to a close, I want you to think about this. There's likely a person in your life that if they showed up at your house today and they said, brother, sister, friend, neighbor, whoever they are, I've got an incredible deal I want you to know about. Now, some of you, you know a person in your life, and if they came to your house and said that, you'd say, (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to hear about it, but I just don't have the time right now. And really, it's because you have no confidence in that person. I'm not talking about that guy. I'm talking about that one person, and we all have that person in our life, that when we hear there's a great investment opportunity coming, a a sure bet, and they said, if you invest, whatever you invest, you will get back 100%. Think of that person. What would you leverage in that moment, what if they said you'd get back a thousand percent? 
What if they said you'd get back 2,000%? If we really trusted them, and this person you certainly do, you'd be searching and finding money in your budget, money in jars, money in the backyard. You'd be finding ways to get your hands on that money and to invest it in this new opportunity. Well, I want you to think about this. Who more can we trust than Jesus? Who more can we trust in Jesus? And chase down that same example, that person that you trust. And they said, invest everything. And you say, well, what have you invested? Well, if they began to tell us, well, I'm going to, but I haven't done it yet. Well, we would begin to put them in the same list, the same category as that first person. But yet this person says, I've invested everything. You've invested everything? I've invested everything. Think about Jesus What did Jesus hold back? What did Jesus not push in on our redemption? He who did not spare his own son, we saw that a moment ago. Jesus was that son who not only was not spared, but who was obedient to the Father and said, I'll not hold anything back. Everything I have, every part of who I am, I will push in on this. And what did Jesus push everything in on? What did he give and lay down his very life for? Edification of the church. That's what this is about. The building up of the church. The creating of a church. The establishing of a church. And the growing and strengthening of a church. Jesus pushed all of his chips in. Jesus laid down his life, not just for the building up of the church, but the spread of the gospel. He said, that risen Lord spoke to his disciples and said, go into all the world and tell them what has happened now. Spread the good news. And as you're going, give relief to the poor. And know this, that I will provide for every need that you have. And Jesus didn't didn't just do that financially. He did that with his finances, with his treasure. He did that with his talent. And he certainly did that with his time. I think this is a great time to segue right into the Lord's table to come to communion as we remember that that's what this is all about. Jesus, our Lord, said to us, the church, he said, I want you to be edified, and you're gonna be edified through the proclamation of what this act symbolizes. There's a meal here, and it symbolizes Jesus' broken body and his shed blood, and he says, I want you to continue to do that because that will, in part, edify and strengthen the church, and it will be a proclamation of my promise to return again And it's a reminder that those who were very poor, like us, remember where we started? We were in great need, in part because we robbed God. But what what does Jesus do? Well, he relieves the poor. We owe a debt to God. And what does Jesus do? Well, he pays that debt. Where we have robbed and sinned and lied and cheated against God, Jesus paid that debt. He relieved the poor in me and the poor in you. He's provided for my every needs. And this is all a picture of that. And so communion is a time where the church comes together and we say, hey, we believe these things to be true about Jesus. And we want to take some time and remember the sacrifice, the pouring out of Jesus' time and his talent and his treasure. And so we're going to take a moment right now and we're going to do that. We're going to eat this bread and we're going to drink from this cup. I love this benediction, this declaration of blessing 
that accords with the promise of God fulfilled in Jesus. Here it is. Church, believe this is true of you now. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that you have chosen in your wisdom us. We're not the strongest, we're not the smartest, and Father, not all of us are the richest, but we know this before you, that in your kindness you chose us to forgive us of our sins, to grant us mercy, and Father, not just to do that, but to use us, to use our time and, to ta- and our talents and our treasures to make much of you. Father, help us to be a church that look to Jesus and love him and celebrate that he did that on our behalf. And God, in joy and in love as we look to Jesus, would we emulate him? And more and more as we take communion together, as we hear the benedictions declared over us, God, would we be shaped by your word and by your spirit into people who really do yield our time, talent, and treasure for your glory. And God, may that not just start now and continue into the future, but may it get stronger and stronger and remain faithful for all eternity because you are worthy to be praised. This is our hope. This is our prayer for Hagerstown Church. Jesus, we ask all of this in your name and for your glory alone. Amen.